Welcome, everybody, to another really fun edition of Stick a Fork in It. We have an awesome guest again today. Yes. Jacqueline, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. Yes. Yeah, so Jacqueline mm-hmm. Boland is with us today. She is the CEO of the Intercultural Advocacy Institute in Pinellas County, Florida, my hometown. Mm-hmm. Tell us about it. Yes, so we operate the Intercultural Advocacy Institute, which is quite a mouthful, but what we really (laughs) do is operate the Hispanic Outreach Center and Hispanic Leadership Council in Pinellas County, and we serve mid to moderate income families who are Spanish speaking, identify as Hispanic or Latinx all over Pinellas County. So, you know, I grew up in Pinellas County, and for a long time uh, in, in the Tampa Bay area, the large majority of the Hispanic population resided in Hillsborough and outer counties. And um, it's really more recent that the Hispanic population has grown in Pinellas. Have you seen uh, an increased need for your services? Yeah, definitely. In the center actually started in about the year 2000, and that was in partnership with the Clearwater Police, and they really were the ones who identified that need. They saw that there was a growing number of victims, um, people who were really riding their bikes to and from the beach, you know, working in restaurants and having a lot of cash on them, um, and they're being robbed, and they were oh, no. needing... Right, they were needing some support in terms of translating and then providing services after the fact, you know, for those victims of crime. And at that time, uh, it was about less than 5% of Pinellas County um, had a Hispanic population, and now it's over 10%. And I'm interested to see from the census, we were very involved with that with Pinellas County in helping to make sure that our Hispanic and Latinx population were counted um, to see what that number will be. But it is definitely growing and it has been growing, um, you know, since 2000 and doubled in, you know, about 20 years, which is growth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, real quick, you keep saying Hispanic and Latinx and we mm -hmm. see that referenced and we see it on social media. Can you please help explain the difference? Mm -hmm. Yes. So Latinx is more of a recent term, Mm -hmm. and that is referring, Spanish is very genderized in terms of language. So when you say something, it has an O or an A on the end, so male and female. Mm -hmm. So like a Latina is a a woman. So Latinx is kind of to de-genderize the language. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of the recent trend of saying Latinx and Hispanic um, is kind of the term for those that come from Spanish speaking kind of traditional countries. Gotcha. So I say both because mm. some people prefer Hispanic, some people yes. prefer Latinx, and it's kind of to encompass both. So what is best for us is to say both. It's to respect both. Well, it's for everyone to make kind of their own thought, I would say, but mm-hmm. I tend to say both because yeah, I know some. I like some. it. I like it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it, it's interesting that uh, you bring up Chief Slaughter in the, the Clearwater Police yes. Department. I yes. know he wasn't chief at the time, but he was right. he was in the department. And um, we actually had the opportunity to sit down with Chief last summer. Yeah. Had a great conversation with him, and he spoke very highly of your work and the, the team that you guys have. And so it'll be interesting to kind of uh, see it from your side and, and to know the strides that that department has taken to be ingrained in its community to really um, ensure that their services that their partners represent the people that they serve so what's what's the experience been like of working with the team from Clearwater PD it's been I think it's a model that we have for for other police departments and communities and counties around Florida and even the state because it is we have a Hispanic liaison officer that they designate towards the to the center and actually sits in our building. He has an office and, and everything. Um, and that's really because we do work with a lot of victims of crime and we want them to feel comfortable. We want mm-hmm. them to feel that they have a place that they can come and share um, their story of whatever mm-hmm. happened to them and they can do it in their language. They can do yes. it without feeling intimidated. They don't have to go through all of the process necessarily of going directly into the front doors of the police department where they might feel a little intimidated so that's why we have um, the program that we have at the center and the option for them to do that and sometimes clients will come in and you know it comes up it's not that they're coming necessarily to report a crime but in the context of what they're talking about that they need help with we identify that need and it's great that he's right there and we can kind of just say let me just grab the officer let me go and get him and and that's why they're great partners so even if he's not in the building we can call next door and they'll send someone over you know right away Um, and I think that that is 
really a strength of, of our partnership because in the beginning, um, back in 2000, we would actually provide interpreters for the police department and go on ride-alongs with them and really do that interpreting, but they've done a good job of hiring and integrating you know, um, Spanish-speaking officers across across the force. Yeah, it's, it's interesting the way you talk about it because it's, it sounds very similar to me to the way that the nonprofit community that didn't traditionally reach out very well to the Hispanic community um, yeah. has grown in its understanding of what needs to be done to ensure everyone has representation, ensure everyone has a place of comfort and welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I love that that model that you guys have done a great job of advocating for and leading and, and being an example to the rest of us um, is something that we can look to when we want to work in schools where there's a significant Hispanic population or we mm-hmm. want to yeah. um, find a new agency partner. You know, there, there are a lot of lessons that I think we still learn from how you guys operate that that really help us to understand how we can be more culturally appropriate that we how we can be uh, more sensitive to maybe some of the experiences that uh, our neighbors have that that just aren't the same as the experiences I grew up with and um, you know, especially in the social services world right it can be incredibly intimidating to go to a DCF office or to go and try to sign up for some sort of benefits or to find a medical home. And, and I love that in some ways you guys provide navigation mm-hmm. specific to the clients that you serve, but also um, example for us to follow. Yeah, and I think even the, the path that the program took from the beginning to now, you see that kind of transition from interpreters to now full bilingual staff on call that we don't have to do that. And I think that's the goal, really, which is systems change, is, is for other organizations, like you said, to kind of take that. Yes, interpreters are important for the now, right, to be able to have ac- equal access to services and to know that they can go somewhere and someone speaks their language. But of course, the goal would be that they you have bilingual staff, that you have people that you know you don't actually need that interpretation and translation right. and they can just directly connect and communicate and know when I go here I can get someone and mm-hmm. I think that's part of why people come to us is they don't they don't know mm-hmm. they don't know if they go to that office or that location if it's going to be a runaround and then they're going to end up coming back to us anyway mm-hmm. right? <laughs> right so they kind of start right. with us and we can push the, them in that direction and I think that's really the ultimate goal of what we do which is why we have those two levels of the outreach center which is the direct services and because we see all of this need across sectors we say okay let's take this a level higher and really focus on that systems change and that advocacy and that's part of why we have the Hispanic Leadership Council is to do that is to ensure that people have the trainings and the capacity building um, to do that for themselves in the organization and hopefully if we do everything well then you know people aren't really coming to us they're going directly to the school they're going directly to you know, mental health counseling therapy Mm -hmm. offices, you know, they're going through those services on their own. And that's Mm -hmm. what we're trying to empower, you know, the families to do, but it's a process, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I I love that you have that kind of long view to Mm -hmm. it, that you're willing to set an example and, and help others along the way, because it is so critical. You know, for example, one of the things that we changed recently, um, we have, you know, we have a lot of staff here that are what we call food plus. And, and so they do wraparound services mm-hmm. and, uh, snap applications and help people sign up for benefits, of various things. And, um, sometimes it's, you know, triage of what's going on in their life. And, um, we have, one of our team members who you know is hispanic and is a fluent spanish speaker um but there were a couple of things that we've done over the past year that i think will help move us in that direction one is that um our new hire in that arena we actually put in the job description that we were seeking someone who was bilingual right um and then of course the the pool of candidates you get is totally different um and in the best possible way right we we ended up with a great candidate that we put out a job offer yesterday so i'm really excited um you know fluent in uh Spanish, but also um, able to kind of make his way through in, in some other languages as well, because that skill of speaking multiple languages translates 
using a that's probably the wrong term but, <laughs> um, yeah not to confuse the issue but can help you with people who speak languages other than English mm-hmm. even if it's not the language that you speak mm-hmm. right right um, and then also we had our team we offered Spanish classes to our entire organization mm-hmm. um, and then you know within zoom and the chat features and everything we had our team kind of sharing their experiences of trying to learn it which mm-hmm. was which was fun <laughs> yeah yeah it taught me it's not as easy as you think it right. is. Yeah. 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 Well, and to m- mad respect from our bilingual <laughs> coworkers and yeah, huh. Yeah. Well, I think that's part of it too in the capacity building sense is, you know, especially now with a lot of focus on DEI and all of that yeah. is, you know, not every single person maybe needs to be bilingual, but mm. if you target those positions that really yes. are working with the community, that's yeah. kind of a start. And especially when Pinellas County now, like I said, is about 10% of the population speaks Spanish and is growing. That's something that I think is going to be more and more of a focus or should be a focus as you know we continue on this path is to identify those roles especially for those frontline forward you know with the Mm -hmm. clients and with the community staff to include those positions and to make it very you know distinct this is a bilingual this is it because there are and we're teaching our our students and those families that it's an asset you know it's not necessarily something to be ashamed of Mm -hmm. or embarrassed of to be bilingual or to speak you know Spanish or even another language it is something that is desired you know you might have an edge you're Mm going to be able to get a gift um, a job to do <laughs> yes. that and so think of it as an asset and so I think that's kind of the change in that culture of thought as well yeah mm-hmm. and it's interesting from the from the perspective of families that have other languages in the home um, to see that transition I think back in a really positive way because um, there was a time when a lot of those families were pushing so that their kids only spoke English. They didn't have an mm. accent so that, yeah. you know, they were fully integrated into American life. And um, a really good friend of ours was at the house this weekend. And, you know, her family is from Mexico City and she does not speak Spanish, mm. but mm-hmm. her parents are at the house all the time. And so her kids are actually trilingual they speak three different languages fluently and have from since they were you know i walked into their house i can kind of hang a little bit in spanish (laughs) english i'm good with usually (laughs) Um, (laughs) the the serbian i struggle with Uh, yeah that's that's the one that's slightly different Uh, but it's so cool because they seamlessly switch between the three languages Mm. at the house yeah um and and it's so much better for those kids that you know those two kids will have a huge advantage Mm -hmm. as they move forward in life because they can you know be uh, a bridge to others and it's so great that you guys are are integral to making that happen for folks Mm -hmm. yeah i mostly just let the duolingo owl like shame me into remembering to do lessons Well, that works yeah. too. Right. So many <laughs> options out there. Yeah, there are. There are. But part of it too, I mean, anyone looking to learn. I mean, mm-hmm. I learned Spanish. I'm not a native Spanish speaker. I'm, okay. I'm not Hispanic myself, mm-hmm. but I learned it in high school and college. And then I went and taught English in Spain. And that's mm-hmm. really, I had to fully embed myself. For sure. To, I thought I was, you know, fully bilingual until I went there. And I was like, right. wow, I'm really not. <laughs> oh, no. And yeah. then I, I did. And just, it's a practice. You yeah. know, yeah. you have to be around it and, and use it in Absolutely. order to, to gain it. So part of it is to, surround yourself with different people different languages and make that intentional and I think that's part of some of the work too that you know in in our society that's going on right now is that intentionality behind it you know and putting that thought into it that you want to be around you want to learn you want to try different things different Mm -hmm. foods you know that's it's intentional yeah yeah Yeah, and I you know you hit on a really important point that there's a big difference between um, someone who has learned Spanish in a classroom and someone who has been immersed in a Spanish culture and community and the immersed fully in mm-hmm. the language. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I went all the way through advanced placement Spanish in high school and thought I was pretty good. And oh, yeah. no, then <laughs> no, you get dropped you know. where you can't speak any yeah. English yeah. and you right. really are forced. And that was, that was, that was for me the best way to learn. And yeah, mm-hmm. I, I wish I had had experience like that because it's, it, it's like any other skill you lose it if you don't practice it yeah. and um you and know 
there's a difference between like in the in the community language speaking versus like textbook, you know, because yeah, like totally, all yeah. of the colloquialisms and idioms and stuff. And yeah. like, I remember being so surprised when I was in Spanish class in high school and learning that like ir, ir al baño was not how you say go to the bathroom. Like in my mind, I'm like, go to the bathroom. Like that's not how you say it. And I'm like, why? Or <laughs> you know? I'm hungry. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's like, podcast, you, know, you have know. hunger. Well. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> that's yeah. a big difference. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, it's, it's really cool to, I think like have people who grew up with that, who like, you know, they, they live it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and even in our office too, I mean, you have different, different countries have different, you know, vocabulary and mm-hmm. different dialects and different yes. ways of saying things. Even though you speak Spanish, the Spain Spanish is different than the Mexican sure. Spanish or not, you know, in different yes. countries that they yeah, speak the right. Spanish. So it is diverse all around, even mm-hmm. in just how you say different, how yeah. you call different foods. <laughs> right. You know? right. So there is that diversity too, that I think is so rich within the Hispanic mm-hmm. community as well, that there are so many different um, countries and cultures to celebrate. And that's really why we have the name, the Intercultural mm-hmm. Advocacy Institute, mm-hmm. was to recognize that and to uplift that part yeah. of the... And it makes it so such a rich experience, you know, because I can speak Cuban Spanish pretty well. Mm-hmm. All of my teachers growing up were Cuban. <laughs> and so, but, but then, our, like I said, our good, really good friend is Mexican, and she will try to explain a word. I'm like, nah, that's a <laughs> doorknob? No, you mean basketball. Gotcha. Yeah. Close, though. Almost. Yeah, almost. And I th- but I think the main thing is that, and what I've learned, too, is that the effort in trying and having an interest and to yeah. just putting yourself out there, being a little vulnerable, even if you're not that comfortable or you're not that sure, is showing that you care. And I think that's that you want to make an effort to try. And um, that's what I would encourage people if you are kind of in a situation like that Mm -hmm. where you have to at least something is better than nothing or just being completely, you know, (laughs) ignorant to the the person's, you know, language. So I think that that's something, especially now, you know, in the society we're in, I think it's Mm -hmm. important to at least try. You know, everyone knows a few words. Especially in Florida. Especially (laughs) in Florida, yes. Well, and I think you hit on a really important point. You know, over the over the holidays, we did um, podcasts that were specific to our own employees, mm-hmm. and I think internally that made a huge difference for how people perceive what we're doing here mm-hmm. because we made the effort to say we want you to be part of this, and yeah. you know, it wasn't the same as the full fledged interview and the whole deal right. and all of that, but. Um, it, there's so much value in just acknowledging that this is something that is important to you and I might not be good at it, but I'm going to try. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And I think that's what it starts with for people, you know, is just that acknowledgement, that recognition and, and understanding and you don't have to show up perfectly. I mean, you just have to, to be there and yeah. be present and try. Mm-hmm. And well, the effort, because yeah. we, we see that at our, our programs mm-hmm. at our mobile pantries at yeah. our mega pantries when we try or when we have a volunteer who speaks Spanish, you can see through those that we serve oh, yeah. how their face lights up mm-hmm. even when you're struggling through communicating or when someone truly communicates in their language or we hand them a piece of information that has Spanish on one side and English on the other that we're making that effort to communicate with them mm-hmm. in their language. Um, it's a respect uh issue Mm -hmm. it really is and it's become that in our world Mm -hmm. and it's just um one more way that we can treat them with dignity by giving them food but also communicating with them and Mm -hmm. it's just Mm -hmm. you can see it you can feel it from them from everyone that we serve yeah um and then when we bring out the stations because that's really my role in every day besides the podcast when we bring out the telemundos and Mm -hmm. the univision and the excitement because it's their station it's Mm -hmm. who they watch it's who they love it's their their folks, their people that they yeah. recognize and the excitement when they want to talk to them. And mm-hmm. uh, we try to do that as regularly as possible. And um, I encourage any listener who gets out there to um, work on those relationships as well, because it's important. Mm-hmm. You know, it's important who you love and what you do and um, the equality of that and the thoughtfulness behind it. And um, we're really working on that in 2020, just like my, Matt said, I'm excited to meet this new mm-hmm. team member who's coming into our world and mm-hmm. Um, we need to work harder on adding those. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I think it, it really does matter mm-hmm. um, when we think about representation, when we think about community voice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's such an important part of being a good service provider. Yeah. Right? It's not coming in and saying, I know what you need, <laughs> and I'm going to tell you how you're going to get right. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's also not even just, I mean, sometimes, uh, you know, to be inclusive will be translating a document. Well, sometimes right. it's not just a line for line translation. It's really, right. yeah. what Google is the Translate's message? not going to help. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. So th- those kind of taking that extra step to be intentional about the message that you want to share right. and who's translating the document. Is it Google or is it a yeah. real person? And you, you know? can tell. <laughs> and you can absolutely tell. Yeah. And it puts, you know, again, you're talking about that putting your money where your mouth is kind of thing and paying people for their translation and interpreting services and putting that money back into the community. Um, that's important as well so that it's done by someone. Like I said, there's a lot of considerations for wording when you go to translating um, a document. So that matters too. And that outreach part is not just, as you said, Shan, giving them a document, <laughs> yeah. but it's going that extra step too yeah. to, to make that personal connection. So do yeah. you guys do translation for other nonprofits? Yes, we do. an interpretation. Oh, wow. Charge for it? Well, we do have, (laughs) yeah, yeah, we need to build a little more on that, yes, but we do. And because it's a service, um, anything with our clients that we can provide, we'll do for, you know, if they need to go certain places or whatever, we'll do that for them for free. But for certain partners, we do have um, partnerships on in board where we do that. Mm. Um, That's, I I think it's brilliant. I think it's a really important service to the community. Also a great opportunity for you to kind of build up your team, build Mm -hmm. up your, uh, you know, and support some of the other work that you're doing. Mm. I'll be sending you an email. Yeah. (laughs) Perfect. And it's it's building that professional pool, which is another goal that we have too, which is, you know, uplifting the professionals in the Hispanic community around Pinellas County and Mm. and trying to get some of them to continue to be advocates as well. Because there are, you know, it's just uplifting them and giving them more opportunities um, to work with other organizations and nonprofits that they might not get if they were doing it, you know, their own business. Yeah. 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 We have a a team member that does a lot of the translations for us. Um, Mm -hmm. Actually, Shannon has a team member. Shannon and Ed has yeah. have a team member that does it. No, yeah. I have a team member that yeah. does mm-hmm. translations, and um, both of them. You know, we love that we can tap into that, right. but at the same time. If I'm asking Will Marie to do a translation, I'm taking her away from yes. what she was hired to do. Yes. And mm-hmm. so having an option where I can support another nonprofit, mm-hmm. send them documents and have you guys yep. translate it and send it back, that's yes. fantastic. Yeah. And it like you said, it gives them that, you know, not kind of always like, oh, because I speak Spanish, I'm always translating yeah. documents. <laughs> yes. You're giving them yes. their respect for their role too. Exactly. So. And of exactly. course, I'm sure it's not that they don't mind doing it, but it's just that. Right. Other part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. No, Fine. I think this would be a great idea. <laughs> Good. <laughs> we'll talk. We'll talk. This podcast was made possible by the innovative thinking and the funding of Feeding America, a nationwide network of more than 200 food banks that feed more than 46 million people through food pantries, soup kitchens, shelters, and other community-based agencies. So I would love to move into because I I was introduced to you through Clarissa uh, because of our Feeding Minds program. So you actually have uh, a food pantry. So tell us a little bit about how that came about. Yeah, the food pantry is at Oak Grove Middle School, which is um, the middle school, a middle school in Pinellas County in Clearwater that has, um, from the last data that I checked, the highest Hispanic population of a middle school gotcha. in Pinellas County in Clearwater. And it started, the program started um, not as a food pantry, it's actually as a youth support group for middle gotcha. school students. And gotcha. it started because there was a large population of Hispanic students and really needing some extra support. So mm-hmm. um, it started for students who are at risk, kind of at risk of getting involved in, you know, kind of gangs were going on you know this was before um not so much an issue now and it was for those students who are struggling to help them and basically the program is um for sixth seventh and eighth graders and Mm -hmm. they each have a session one day a week and it's split by gender so the boys of the sixth grade meet and then the girls of the sixth grade meet same with seventh split and same with Mm -hmm. eighth and they're all about helping them to build their um, self-esteem communication skills organization skills really helping them to succeed at school to manage their emotion kind Mm -hmm. of that social emotional part of it yes um and they they're able to um do that because of the support of the school Mm. so the administration supports you know this program because they um the students kind of have to take a pass and get it and it's actually a a class for them to to go through this i love it and um it's just that dedicated time and space for them where they um have someone listening to them working through these things with them and in going through a lot of their challenges with the students that was when the food need came up Mm. was actually um noticing that the students were 
we give snacks during the class mm. and they were putting them in their backpacks. Oh, you yeah. know, they weren't they weren't choosing to yeah. eat it. They were kind of taking it. Oh, I want to save it for my brother. I want to mm. take it for the weekend mm. and that sort of a thing. So mm-hmm. it was like this is a, you know, our, our um, coordinator recognized that that was an issue and a challenge and said we need to provide some some food for for these students and started to fundraise and get donations and had a, a pantry for we have about 40 students in in this program. And they could come on Thursday and self-select, you know, the last kind of period right before they would go home. And then they would have a bag of food that they would have for the weekend for their brothers and sisters, their family. Mm -hmm. And then um, that was, you know, going well. And we would get some referrals from the the guidance counselor or the social worker at the school. And um, what really made it grow was our introduction to Feeding Tampa Bay. And when um, Feeding Tampa Bay became involved, we were in an upstairs room, kind of a small classroom. And then when we started the partnership, we got a whole new room Mm -hmm. (laughs) downstairs. We really, it it, it grew from being 40 students to serving over 200 every single Thursday. Um, And so uh, most of those students are Hispanic, but not all of them are. Mm. They are any student. It was open to any student in need and even teachers hmm. um, who needed that extra yeah. support and so we went from having mostly um, dry foods you know it was what we were having that were culturally appropriate making sure they had the rice and the beans and you yeah. know all the goodies that they wanted as well like mm-hmm. ramen and mac and cheese they like <laughs> that kind of yeah. stuff um, and then growing it with the support of feeding Tampa Bay to meats and dairy <laughs> yes. and fresh fruits and vegetables and of course you know we have that supplemented sometimes you know by other partners as well who who support Pinellas Community Foundation and a church that regularly connect to Christ Church donates to us as well so we're always ensuring that there's that supplement there for um, right. that culturally appropriate food part um, for our students and what they like because yeah. The reason that this program, I think, is so unique and so successful as a school pantry is because it's tied to the program. Mm. And that's because that these students that are in this program, part of it is that they volunteer, they lead, they they organize this pantry. And every year they choose a name. They design a logo. Oh, wow. We get bags for, you know, the food um, through the Juvenile Welfare Board of Pinellas, JWB. Mm -hmm. And so they that's part of the kind of project um, is a part of them being in this program. But then Mm -hmm. they have that ownership. Exactly. And they get to give us a list of the food items that they want, that they want to see. They want to see mangoes. They want to, you know, whatever else that they want to kind of see in there that we can support. And that's what we do. So then they, um, you know, this last year have gone through a training and leadership, um, you know, kind of elevated for these students to be picking the foods off the shelf, helping them and putting them in the bags for um, their fellow classmates. And it's been a great experience. And the reason, like I said, I think it is so successful is the students are invested and it's involved in this bigger program Mm -hmm. um, for them as wraparound services. So I don't know if you know this or not, but of the 57 Feeding Mind School pantries that we have, Oak Grove is number one in terms <laughs> wow. of volume. Wow. Yeah. The That's biggest <laughs> biggest and best school pantry that we have. And you just nailed exactly why. Yes. Because of the buy-in, because of the yep. ownership that the kids have over it, because of your commitment and your organization's commitment to facilitating those things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, we do a lot of work with Feeding America and talking about ending hunger and what kind of, what are the best practices and how do you move from backpacks into pantries? How do you uh, really make these things stick and, and work effectively in a community? And, you know, at some point I will probably end up writing up what we do with you. Mm-hmm. because it truly is the best practice in school mm-hmm. pantries having a partner like you or embedded in the community know the families embedded in the school know the the personnel at the school who are willing to say hey i think this kid might be struggling mm-hmm. yeah. you know who are willing to kind of advocate for Kids who, especially in middle school, they don't want to tell anybody that they're yeah. not eating. Oh, yeah. It's they don't want to tell time anybody. In life. You know? Oh, it is. It, is. it really is. No and doubt. No matter where you're from, it's the toughest time. Yeah, sure. It's such right? a transition period. It is. Yeah. And that's why, again, having the program, and I have to give, like you said, the reason we're number one, I have to say, is because of the team that we have, yeah. the yeah. staff yeah. that Everybody are working together. Absolutely amazing yeah. at the school who are so dedicated to these students and making and elevating this pantry yeah. to, to what it is 
it is and also to the school administration because yeah. you know we can only do so much but we need to have their support yeah. so the principal and um, vice principal there at Oak Grove are just incredible their mm-hmm. support staff and their front desk are just wonderful who help us really as you said identify students ensure that the kids get on the bus even though you know they're getting their food bags and everything and I mean there that's really it is a a school community effort for us to make this happen no doubt there's no other way that we could do it and having that regular I think consistent um participation at the school and attendance and you know our staff being there every single week helps because they know and they're even if today I don't need some food I know that I can go there you know next week or the following week or whenever I am in need so um that's part of it, you know. Otherwise, yeah. it, it wouldn't work the same way, like you said, to get that number of kids and and to file and and the the amount of time that we're able to serve those two hundred kids is like fifteen twenty minutes. Right. So they're it's going, yeah. they're going through, yeah. yeah. And of course, we do have volunteers who come and help us and you know partner to to do that. But mm. um, it's the kids, it's the students that run that, and they they know they're wearing their colored jackets, you know, that give them that leadership. Absolutely. And, wow. and they they run it, and it's something to really see and to experience. But. Um, we're going to have to see it yeah, and t- share the story. Eva is like, going. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I see Eva's already got his wheels turning. Yeah, I'm like, okay. We're going to be here. coming over. <laughs> yeah. well, no, we'd love to check to this you. out. And, and I, you know, as we bring on other school pantries or talk to other partners who are interested in it or funders who want to support it, I often say to them, you need to go see what happens at Oak Grove first. Mm-hmm. You need to understand what it looks like in its best possible format. Yeah. And then right. we'll talk about how to grow to that. Because it doesn't happen over overnight you guys have worked really hard to make that happen and you know i think all conversations that we have nowadays uh have this moment where we say well how'd it go during the pandemic and for sure i think the story there illustrates a couple things to me one um it illustrates the importance of food and the pantry to the work that we're doing together there but also to the the care and dedication and ingenuity of your staff. So do you want to share mm-hmm. a little bit about how things changed over the last year? Yeah, sure. Yeah, because we're not at the school right now. Right. That's, that's not happening. So <laughs> um, really, you know, March 2020 is when, of course, everything happened and with the pandemic. And what we did was because, of course, we still had kids that needed food and still mm-hmm. were asking for support. So we, um, by we, my, the amazing staff that we have, decided to do a drive-through distribution. We thought that would be the safest kind of best way for us to interact with the families and yet keep everyone safe so we um, again worked with Chief Slaughter and the Clearwater Police to kind of help with the traffic control downtown and set up um a system and that was really designed by again the staff the students and our liaison officer <laughs> after several iterations kind of, always, right, yeah. of going through <laughs> um, but what we were able to uh, to do was to have a um, drive through pantry and that way everyone would just literally pull up about a couple cars at a time open the trunk yeah. you know yep. put the food in and then they drive off and mm-hmm. I know in the beginning there were some longer wait times and things as we were working it through but sure. it's still happening today um, not today as in Tuesday but sure. it will happen every Thursday <laughs> yeah <laughs> today we're still doing that and yeah. we have um, only missed one week and that was when there was a tropical storm warning uh, and that gotcha. was it that's yeah that's but, fair. <laughs> but even during Thanksgiving we had um, holiday boxes nice. and nice. Christmas and New Year's we we continued to do mm-hmm. all of that with extra support that we had we had the feeding Tampa Bay food and then extra support from um, the cares from mm. Pinellas Community Foundation cares dollars at yeah. the end of the year um, to be able to give that extra food around right. the holidays but we haven't missed a, a single week and that's wow. um, because we still have in the height of you you know the pandemic in mm. the beginning we had about 300 families coming through wow and now we're about averaging between you know 100 150 um mm-hmm. on a weekly basis still so that's no sweat now after still. doing 300 <laughs> <laughs> the team that is out there i'm telling you they're amazing yeah. through rain shine wind wow. whatever it is yeah. right. they are out there with their straw hats their water bottles <laughs> they're ready to go and they are just still with a smile on their face yeah. to every single car they have some of the same repeat families and it's just incredible yep to um, have this team that has developed such a good bond um, mm-hmm. to be yeah. able to deliver this through the pandemic and we're going to continue it through the summer and um, our plan is to go back to the school in the fall mm-hmm. so good. we will be this back was a great normalcy. interim option but we've been able to continue to serve families and um, those families that maybe traditionally might not have needed support 
before or were able to access the pantry at, at Oak Grove because it was just through the school are now able to access and, and get food and um, especially because a lot of families that we serve work in the tourism kind of industry we're talking hotels and restaurants yeah. and all of that when everything the whole state closed down and all of those things yeah. the restaurants closed and everything a lot of our families that that was their paycheck that was their mm. income so they mm-hmm. were really hard out for for some time and us giving them that that the groceries and the food they were able to save that money that they would have spent on food mm-hmm. and use it to pay rent and bills yes. and stuff like that yeah. Yeah. exactly they're still doing it that way so i think it's just um an incredible um idea of you know invention and kind of ingenuity and innovation and mm-hmm. we've used that food distribution line not just to to give food but again trying to maintain as much as he can safety you know um following cdc guidelines we've given out books we've given out activities in the summer and use that as the best way to interact with families and still Mm -hmm. give them information and other items or resources um while we're having that interaction with them yeah Mm -hmm. yeah one of the things i love about that is um you know we've had experience there and, and in other places where we're doing it that um you know we'll have school personnel come out and serve because they don't get to see the families mm-hmm. anymore. The mm-hmm. you know yeah. campuses are closed, and they're not interacting with mom and dad, other than electronically or you know a, an occasional phone call. And it's really hard to uh, teach a kid who might be struggling a little bit if you can't interact in the way you would in a normal year. And yeah. so right. um, I love that our work together has provided an opportunity for far more than food. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and it absolutely Mm -hmm. has. And I think that's been really a part of our ability to continue to provide services is through this this method. That's Mm -hmm. really been how, you know, why reinvent the wheel? We've already got a system in place. Let's Mm -hmm. just keep supplementing it and embedding it with more enrichment and, you know, opportunities to engage. And that's what we've done. Um, And it's been successful so far. It's still going. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Florida Blue's mission is to help people and communities achieve better health. In partnership with Feeding Tampa Bay, their collective goal is a hunger-free Tampa Bay by 2025. How will we do that? By ensuring that all our neighbors have access to fresh, nutritious food that is essential to a healthy and capable lifestyle. We invite you to join the movement. Visit hungerfree2025.com. So, you know, we we love you guys as a partner. Um, and I think because of that, we probably jumped right into the conversation around <laughs> yep. what we yep. do together. But yeah. um, Absolutely. one of the things that we love about doing this podcast okay. is we get to step away from the day to day of feeding folks and uh, have a conversation about you, mm-hmm. you know, about your experience with food and the things that you love. And, um, you know, Shannon's favorite question about what's your favorite memory around mm-hmm. the table. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to get there. We're going to ask you all those questions. But tell us a little okay. bit about your background, kind of how you ended up at the Hispanic Outreach Center. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure that's a lot of questions. People, <laughs> a, lot of, a big question <laughs> for a lot of people. For sure. <laughs> um, like I said, I, I speak Spanish, but I'm not Hispanic myself. Sure. I identify as it. But I... Um, I'll try and make it, you know, long story short. Mm-hmm. So I graduated, I, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and um, graduated from um, college with uh, journalism and Spanish um, bachelors. And I wanted, like I said, that was when I thought I was fluent, wasn't fluent. <laughs> Went to um, Spain. Guess actually, why? yeah. <laughs> no. Through the Ministry of Education and um, taught bilingu- uh, in a bilingual um, high school for a year and um, did that in Spain. And then I came back to the United States and I wanted to continue to work and um, be around Spanish speakers, other cultures, other languages. That's just a big passion of mine. Um, and I do all that because I love food. Mm-hmm. So that's a great way to experience there that, you go. right? Mm-hmm. And so that's when I moved actually to Pinellas County and I started working with immigrants and refugees um, doing literacy work with family literacy and teaching citizenship and I absolutely love that work here and um, really wanted to take that bigger and and broader and I went and did my master's um, in international development in Brussels in Belgium and got to be there and um, really was focusing on poverty and gender and how um, men and women experience poverty differently Mm. and I was doing my research and I'm sitting in this you know these grand libraries in Brussels and Belgium and I'm just writing about poverty and I'm thinking this just doesn't feel right (laughs) I I just this is not how I want to kind of do the research you know 
So I talked to my advisor and I booked a one-way flight to Nairobi, Kenya and did a fellowship um, with a startup that was building health clinics um, in the urban slums there in Nairobi. Mm -hmm. So I was there for three months doing my research, walking around um, with the community health workers there and getting feedback on and all of this, put together my research paper and decided three months really, you know, went by really fast. (laughs) And so I ended up staying on with the organization and working, um, developing a health program, um, connecting the clinics um, that they had to schools for kids um, mm. and bringing backpack nurses into these schools in the slums and building a couple other programs as well um, mm. when I was there. And I would end up staying for three years. Wow. And Three uh, months to three years. Wow. Three months to three years, <laughs> yes. And so then I, you know, it was a, I kind of had been living in and out of a suitcase or two suitcases was the max <laughs> that I had for about five or six years, wow. you know, kind of throughout my travels and all over that I decided, you know, I kind of want to settle down and not live out of a suitcase. Have like four or five suitcases going. Yeah, yeah. no, I never had four or five. I couldn't afford <laughs> I mean, that's what you're going to settle down for, you know? <laughs> the airplane price for that. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I had a suitcase. So then I decided I wanted to come back um, to the States. I didn't really, I loved Kenya and I have such dear friends there still to this day. Um, but I didn't want to make that my permanent home. And so I came back to Pinellas County and started looking for opportunities and wanted to continue, of course, working with other cultures and communities and um, found the opportunity at the Hispanic Outreach Center and did wow. some Zoom interviews there. My power went out once even in the interview. <laughs> so and they still, they still <laughs> so, so that's kind of how I got here, which is quite quite the story. But yeah, um, it's around been, the world and back to Florida. Around Florida's. the world and back, back to Pinellas <laughs> County. So it's been three years that I've been with the organization wow. now. Yeah. All right. So we've got Ohio, Florida, Spain, Belgium, China and before Kenya. Belgium. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> Oh See, wow! She's in China. <laughs> now I have no idea where the a- the food answer is going to oh, come. Oh no! From. I've got mine. Right? Yeah. I definitely have the question. Okay, Best meal in Kenya? Because I've heard there's some wonderful food there. Amazing food, but the answer yes. I'm going to give you is not. Is my best meal, but not uh-huh. one that I would, I can replicate for you, probably. <laughs> so um, I'll explain the meal and then I'll tell you where it was. Yes. So it was. Um, a tomato, like a stewed kind of tomato, fresh, uh-huh. red, the best tomato I've ever had in my life, uh-huh. with um, kale, sautéed kale, Ooh. In, and it was mixed together, and there was an egg. Ooh. <laughs> and it was fabulous. The wow. egg was, you know, they don't pasteurize their eggs over there, so it mm-hmm. was never refrigerated or anything, and it was red, golden, I mean red, yellow, golden kind <laughs> yes. of color, and oh, it was the best meal. So uh. simple. Okay, yeah. and flavors and, were there. And it was wow. so good. And but I have to ask a chicken egg. A chick, yes. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, I didn't think about <laughs> you that. Know, because you yes, a know. chicken egg. And so okay. that was one of my favorite meals. And where I was when I was eating that was on an upside down bucket. Oh. <laughs> I love it. In the slum in a like eight by eight room Uh um full of like what people use here for the like um when there's a hurricane Mm -hmm. put on the windows that's what the the kind of the Uh, corrugated metal yeah Yeah. Yeah. okay okay are made out of right and i was sitting next to an open jico an open fire Mm -hmm. with you know like a stir fry kind of just a a pot Mm -hmm. and that's where everything was being cooked all together in it and you know if you were to there wasn't really a door. It was like a curtain kind mm. of open. And the uh-huh. woman's house that I was in, she was our neighbor next to the clinic. And her daughter was cooking me lunch. She mm. wanted to have me over, have me for lunch. It yes. was like an honor yeah. for her to have a mzungu, which is like a white person uh-huh. in her house and to cook me lunch. And I was wow. just honored to, sure. to experience that. <laughs> and she kept coming in and out because she had a little um, vegetable business and she mm-hmm. would sell fruits and vegetables in the front of her house. Mm-hmm. So she kept coming in and out. And as I'm sitting there on this bucket, right in front of the house is an open drainage mm. system, you know, yeah. um, there as well. So yeah. I kept getting that whiff and then uh. I would get the whiff of the, <laughs> the <laughs> egg. And that's maybe it. why it tasted also so good, but I will never... <laughs> I'll you never would lean forget. into that yeah. other. Yeah. yeah, I'll never forget that meal. That was one of the best meals. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but other meals that I would eat on a much more regular basis, I <laughs> ate a lot of um, beans and mm. really okay. good beans with chicken, um, kind of a chicken stew. They have a lot of sim- like a lot of cilantro and onion mm. and tomato Ooh. and mango and avocado yeah. 
yes. kind of like tropical yeah. foods yeah. and um those the street foods to me were my favorite mm. you know yeah. the high-end restaurants were great i love to go there and have you know pasta and things that would kind of remind me of the u.s mm. mm-hmm. but i would go to the little tiny dives yeah. that probably people would tell me you should never go to <laughs> and i did yes. get food poisoning <laughs> i had multiple salmonella and uh-huh. even typhoid when i was there oh, but wow. so oh, that's why i say i wouldn't recommend where i ate but it was so, so this isn't like a th- thank god this isn't the travel podcast yeah, yeah. i suppose that's no. true you but know those those were but the other my favorite favorite meal would be um fried goat with onion oh i would get i i I would i don't know how i would make it but i would (laughs) eat that again from this one restaurant like a neighborhood little corner dive Mm -hmm. any day that was my favorite meal it's it's so funny to hear that story because um it's almost exactly like an experience that i had when i was in jamaica Mm. oh there you go and it's just neat how universal some things are right even though our cultures are so different having curried goat like that <laughs> on a flipped up upside down bucket yeah you know in a house made out of corrugated metal mm-hmm. in jamaica i've i have been in that exact kind of same situation and it's yes. uh there is just something different about the way the food tastes when somebody prepares it with that much love mm-hmm. yeah yeah and yeah. and not even like and just the fact that they're so honored to cook for you or to have yeah. you yeah. to show you and it doesn't yeah. matter where you're sitting or what's around you it's just that feeling you know that's the most important thing and that's why i love food because you can be anywhere you don't even have to speak the same language i don't even have to understand really (laughs) what you're saying at least i can see the food you know that i what i'm eating more Mm -hmm. or less and and enjoy it and that's what i think is awesome about food yeah and it's a it's a portal it's like a window into the culture you know that like you just it's not the same here like you know people come over to my house i'm like do you want some like bread or cereal <laughs> like, you know, like mac and cheese well, yeah you know i've and, got some stuff some for people you. do yeah. have other food though are, and are like you sure cook actual yeah. i don't know if house. i believe that i yeah. don't know <laughs> i haven't seen it <laughs> well you could try the egg and tomato i could you know yes. and, yeah. and kale that would be a hilarious test though if you put those three actually. things in front of me there there's no meal coming out of that you're just gonna have a broken egg like a very so poorly good. cut tomato wrapped in some raw kale baby stuff so um you know, food is a is a huge part of a lot of Hispanic cultures as well, and yeah. and showing love through sharing food and definitely. Um, have you had experiences here of of wonderful food that has been oh, shared with you? Absolutely, at the center. I mean, again, yeah. pre COVID, we would have um, you know families would bring food for different you know graduation ceremonies or when they're going through completing a program they're getting their certificate it will be a smorgasbord of amazing amazing food and one thing um that i always can count on you know my office is right next to kind of the training room and i will always i can smell it you know tamales and every oh just Uh. handmade food that is just so well done and so interesting some things are just very unique some noodle recipes and things Mm -hmm. that i would have never thought but you know just their take on on pasta or you know things like that that are just it's awesome so yeah we definitely do and we love to have those little celebrations for families at the at the center because of course food is a great you know come bringing food and that's what makes it hard with the pandemic is you Mm -hmm. know not being able to have that same opportunity of course to have us to show you know our appreciation and and you know support for the families through providing some of that which we do but it's not prepared you know like yeah. the way we might before and vice versa for right. them to show their appreciation and gratitude is by bringing food and by bringing right. um items for us to try and to to enjoy and i think that that's something that's really special that again no matter your where you live your income you know what you have or you don't have just making and bringing something to someone you know yes. i made you this cake i made you this is it means so much more than you know here's a gift card or here's something else right. like it's just that that <laughs> right. time like that they spent in making it and mm-hmm. and putting all the ingredients together and i think that that's what's really special it's from the soul mm-hmm. yeah and we're this far which i'm using like little pinchy fingers because you can't see me <laughs> <laughs> this is an audio yeah, medium. Right. Yes. <laughs> Theater of the mind, pinchy uh-huh, fingers. Uh-huh. We're this close to being able to do that again, mm-hmm. which yes. feels amazing. Yeah. For yeah. instance, Publix is now giving out cookies to kids. I <gasps> saw that. We now can if you're vaccinated, which we highly encourage. Mm-hmm. I do. I can't say we. True. I highly encourage. It's not that big of a deal to mm-hmm. go ahead and do that so we can move forward. So mm-hmm. that's my personal. Mm-hmm opinion so i highly encourage everyone to do that so we can get out there and uh go back to a normal existence i'm very excited to do that so we can bring those meals and we can let our 
let people go in and choose their food in yeah, our pantries yeah, absolutely. and uh, at our mobile pantries Definitely. and our school pantries and all of those things. Yeah. And in the meantime, we're still doing it in a safe way. We are. We're able That's to. Right. We are. Otherwise. We're still making sure everyone has a wonderful meal on their table. Mm-hmm. A lot of times culturally sensitive to make sure that they have what they're used to, but also introduce them to foods um, that we have available to them, which we do through our nutrition education page. Mm-hmm. But Jacqueline, we want to thank you. Sure. for coming and hanging out at the food bank. We're going to give you a it's tour. A mm-hmm. Okay, please do. I want to go slam dunk over there. I saw the basketball. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. we'll hook you up. <laughs> There's a hockey goal too. We'll yeah. see yeah. what your yeah. slap shot it looks uh-huh. like. Yeah. yeah, we take care of our volunteers here, so you're going to see that. But awesome. thank you so much for joining us, and I look forward to coming over and seeing how you do things in your world. So thank you again. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, yeah, thank, thank you, thank you for me. joining us. Hey, everybody. Welcome to What the Food Bank. We're going to be uh, breaking down some of the things we talked about with Jacqueline on today's episode. Um, you know, basically the ways that we try to support our Latinx and Hispanic communities. Um, and to help us with that, we have one of our favorite coworkers here, Will Marie Colon Alvarado, who is uh, who is one of our nutrition educators as well as our community partnerships manager. How are you doing today, Will Marie? I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here with you guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. You and I have gotten to work together a little more lately, you know, working on some, uh, some like recipe videos, like nutrition yes. kitchen, kind of teaching people how to like cook with some of the foods that they get from us, make like healthy, tasty meals. It's been a lot of mm-hmm. fun. <laughs> and, uh, you know, a big part of that is just making sure that, uh, you know, people are able to access this like really awesome content in their own language and kind of, you know, not have to, um, sort of work through it secondhand and, you know, maybe, maybe language that's not their first language. And, um, you know, that's, that's something that we know is like really important for our, for our, you know, recipients. Yes, absolutely. I agree. Um, we are always looking for ways to better serve our community and our neighbors, um, not only just being culturally aware, but also, as you mentioned earlier, um, we know that sometimes language can be a barrier and we are willing and aiming to actually um, step up to the game and um, become their allies when it comes to providing them with resources that um, they will benefit from um, in their own language. Yeah, we, we know that we work really hard to meet people where they are. And that's far more than just the physical space of your neighborhood, right? That's the types of food that are important to you are culturally relevant, the types of food that you grew up eating that you're looking for in a grocery store. It's also the conversation that you're having with the folks who are there to serve you. And so um, it is really, really wonderful to have Will Marie on the team to help those of us who know pequeño, un poquito español. <laughs> you got it right. work work through it Um, and you know it's something that I'm really proud of us organizationally uh, because we offered the opportunity for anybody in the organization who wanted to uh, to learn the language and and work through that as a group Um, and then to have somebody like Will Marie who's such a, a wonderful representative of our food bank um, in a million ways. So one of those things happens to be being a liaison for the community. You know, often Shannon will pull her and ask her to speak on uh, Univision or, uh, you know, other... Telemundo. Network. Yeah, Telemundo. And, uh, you know, there's just a ton of really important reasons why Wilmer is a great ambassador for our organization. And not only that, I guess, um, I don't want to take the credit I think it's always um, good to make emphasis on the fact that Feeding Tampa Bay really wants to open up their services to the rest of the community, right? Um, You saw there was a barrier and you just went above and beyond and started, you know, connecting with different um, channels, to make it possible to make our resources available in other languages, not just in Spanish, right? Um, Which is super cool to me because our website not only translates to Spanish, we also have other languages, right? So just 
providing that tool. And besides that, um, bringing awareness to our community of that type of accessibility is far more than just saying, hey, we have everything in more than one language, right? You're making sure that people are aware of that and people are actually using um, those resources. We are aware that they are going through our website um, because of um, the news cuts that they've seen on Telemundo, um, what they've heard over the radio. So we know it's working, right? That, that effort um, is definitely showing um, results. Yeah, I think it's one of those times where, um, you know, our words about treating people with dignity and respect really meet reality, right? We were, uh, you know, in some ways pushed by the community that we serve to say, I can't read this, or this isn't meaningful to me. This is not the type of food that I cook with. Uh, And all credit to all different parts of our organization, we've been really responsive, as you said. You know, when we truly put people first, the people that we serve, and we listen to the voices of our community speaking back to us, giving us advice, giving us feedback, we, I think, as an organization, you know, it comes right from the top from Thomas, I think we do a, an admirable job in responding to that community voice. It's so important for us to continue to reach out. And so I would even say to the listeners of this podcast, you know, if you have ideas, thoughts, criticisms about our work, if you know of people who do, people who haven't been served by us as we would hope to serve others, let us know. It's the type of thing that only makes us all better. Um, And, you know, Wilmarie, you're, you're a fantastic example of someone who is really good at their job in any language and also is incredibly skilled at using language as an outreach tool. Um, you know, I, I, we have you on to talk about some of the, the cultural outreach pieces, but I can never have a conversation with you without recognizing the value internally that you provide to our team, especially to our Fresh Force students by working through with them all of the barriers that they're facing and ensuring that they have the proper support, they have the attention that they need in order to be successful. And that's, to me, a a closer example of the thing you're doing all the time out in the community. I guess at the same time, it's um, one of my passions um, to be at the level um, that the client needs, right? Probably I might have not experienced um, a specific scenario um, the same way that they have, but I think um, being able to at least give myself the chance of learning through their eyes, through their experiences, um, what they felt um, allows me to better serve them. So that's what I always put up front. I really want to be able to understand um, which are their needs, not looking from um, my standpoint, but always from the client's standpoint, walking the walk and understanding um, where they are coming from. I can definitely say, you know, working in, in the communication part of organization, like, uh, we see all the time that like we have so much to learn from the people that we serve, you know, about our community, about their needs. And, you know, we certainly can't come at this from an angle of like, we know best, you know, we know what's best for you, because there are all all different demographics and types of people that we work with across the 10 counties. And, you know, they can teach us so much about what they need. And then we can learn so much about how to help other people, you know, that may be in the same situation or, you know, come from the same place, that kind of thing. And um, that's one thing that I really like about the work that we get to do is like, you know, just like listening too. you know, not just like distributing, but learning like the whole time as well. Well, and I think it's really important, you know, when we talk about this kind of work, that it is at the personal level, the individual level, like Wilmarie was saying, and not checking boxes of having, you know, 
okay, we have somebody who speaks Spanish. That means that we know everything we need to know about the Cuban population in our territory exactly. and Peruvian population in our territory <laughs> and uh, those who come from different parts of Mexico that have totally different experiences of food and, uh, and their journey here in, in the United States. You know, there are, there are so many different ways in which we do better by setting aside our thinking and our preconditions and just asking the folks that we're working with, what is it you need, right? And then trying to respond to that. Um, and, and if we can't ask them that in a tongue that they can respond honestly in and, and fully in, we really fall behind in our ability to, to answer those questions and serve in that way. Yeah, definitely. I agree with you um, in regards to the fact that if you, um, if you are going through a difficult time, right, um, you are already experiencing barriers, most probably, right? So navigating the support system, navigating um, the food relief system can be challenging. If you are not able to communicate well with those agencies um, who are willing to serve you, right? Um, and going back to the fact that a lot of Feeding Tampa Bay's employees have gone through the Spanish um, training, the Spanish language training, and those who haven't um, are still willing to learn a little bit here and there shows um that we are all in this together, right? We have had volunteers um, at the town and country um, mega pantry. And some of the volunteers who don't understand, they are willing to learn at least uh, a set of five words to at least serve our neighbors with dignity. So that tells you a lot, right? It's not just our staff. It's also the volunteers who are coming to us and asking us, hey, how should I say X and Y thing, right? So yep. it's, it's a collaboration um, that has actually become the way of doing things now, I guess. It's not just being done in town and country. It's something that we're also seeing down in um, Manatee County. So it's, it's, it just fills my heart um, because I know when you're going through the line, sometimes you don't know how to ask certain things if you don't know the English language. However, our staff and volunteers are willing to set aside some time and try to communicate with you. So that, that just warms my heart. And I know our neighbors, um, also feel represented, you know, they also feel like they are being supported, not just with food. Yeah, I learned early five most important words are hable mas despacio por favor. There you go. <laughs> Indefinitely. <laughs> yes, sometimes the clientele might understand you if you're speaking slowly. Same thing with us, right? Um, if you're being spoken in Spanish, maybe by listening to that sentence um, in a slower pace will give you the time to analyze and you know connect some words with the English language so you get to understand part of it or probably um, the entire request or the question, right? So yeah. Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, it comes down to that face-to-face -face personal interaction you know, showing the respect of even making the attempt, showing yeah. the respect of saying, you know, I, I want to connect with you and we might both struggle through this, but we're going to get through it together um, is so important. And it's one of the things that I really love about our ops team that is out there every day on yes. the ground, making a difference. Our volunteers, like you said, Will Marie, we have so many volunteers who are willing to pick up a couple of words here and there or a couple of sentences or even you know become fluent if they aren't already are and then those who are being willing to offer that gift 
Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's not just, you know, a one way road. Um, we are basically just collaborating as a whole and making it happen. Grassroots learning process. And at the same time, we are empowering our clients, right? Because um, they might not know English, the English language, but they are willing to speak with us at the same time and exchange um, some words. Um, and that personal connection definitely has a huge impact. Because just setting out, setting aside some minutes to understand, a few minutes to understand what it is that the client is trying to achieve, um, it just gives you the power of actually getting more, right? If I need more food, because yes, I'm here in the car by myself, but I have three children at home and I don't know how to communicate that in English, though a volunteer or a feeding Tampa Bay staff member is willing to ask me what I need, I'm going to be able to take home some food for my children as well, right? Yeah. So it's super important, that that connection right there. Yeah, Thomas talks all the time about the courage that it takes for someone to raise their hand and admit that there's a need in their family, you know, to, to go and get in their car or walk up to one of our distributions and, and say, please help. And if we're not doing our job, we're not serving in the way our community deserves, if we're not willing to step out a little bit in faith in that moment as well and be a little vulnerable too, say, I might not be fluent. I might not be able to carry on a 20 minute conversation, but I'm going to figure out what it is that you came here for and how I can make it easier for you next time and how I can better serve you. Um, and again, I, nothing but admiration for our ops team, for the development folks who are out there recruiting volunteers and always encouraging folks with, uh, with multiple language abilities uh, to come and be part of our world. And then of course, the, the amazing staff that we have that, that also jump in. You know, I don't know how many drivers we have who have you know, enough Spanish to get by just because they drive and they're at distributions. Right, those kind of things seem small to the person stepping forward, but they're huge yes. to the person who's taken that risk yes. of reaching out a hand and saying, I need help. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. And that willingness to actually become, um, you know, that, that liaison um, locally it also has a huge impact. They might just be drivers. That's how they see themselves at, as just being drivers, but they're doing so much more, yes. so much more than just driving the food to where it's needed. They're also connecting those families to other resources and most probably providing them with more food that's actually needed at home. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I, I, again, it's one of those things that makes me proud to work here. It makes me proud um, that we focus on this. We're not great at it, but we're getting better and we're, we're committed to it. And that's the part I want people to hear. And, you know, I, I love the fact that this is a priority of ours across all 10 counties with every population that lives within that every language, every, uh, you know, every background and, and personal history, we're going to do our best that if you need us, we're going to be there for you. I agree. Definitely. Well, you know, thank you so much, Marie, for, you know, all that you do to help us in that goal, you know, and all of your insights and, you know, just wisdom. And uh, thank you for joining us on the show and telling our, you know, our listeners all about it as well. Hopefully that helps people kind of understand a little bit more about our mission and how they can get involved and, you know, we're, like, like Matt said, we're always looking for folks who have that kind of multilingual experience or are interested in or connecting directly with the community and, you know, helping us to kind of spread the word, spread the services around. Absolutely. Always a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Awesome. We will see you back at the ranch. <laughs> Okie dokie. You guys take care. Thank you, friend. Have a good one. 
can learn more about Feeding Tampa Bay and how to join the movement at feedingtampabay.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Feeding Tampa Bay.